I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Natalie Busco. And we love to watch. We love to watch The Shining and Home Alone Make a Baby? I just got an invitation through the mails. Your presence requested this evening is formal, a top hat, white tie, and tails. Nothing now could take the wind out of my sails. Because I'm invited to step out this evening with top hat and white tie and tails. Oh, I'm putting on my top hat, tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. I'm hey, Pete. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, here's what's so funny. I heard your tagline, Peter, and I've been watching so many movies. I was like, wait, what movie are we doing here today? <laughs> I'm like, what movie does that describe? Um, because I watched it on Sunday. And since then, as we will talk about, I have watched 13 other movies, partially through a, uh, kind of a, a fog of dayquil and sickness. So, um, <laughs> if I am like all of a sudden start talking about the the plot of Train to Busan as part of the Babadook, <laughs> that is why. Uh, yeah. Um. Hey. So, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, you. You've. So you've seen the Babadook, right? Oh, I've seen the Babadook, Duke, Duke. <laughs> so, duck, duck, duck. do you realize that one of the ways they show her declining mental state is watching? Way too many movies, particularly horror movies, on TV over and over again. Yeah, this is going to basically be a performance art episode. Uh, But anyways, uh, welcome to our second week of Ladies Fright Night. If you've never heard us before, we're a movie podcast called We Love to Watch. We pick a theme and uh, we talk about movies around that theme. Um, the movie was called? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. I'm like, I know we talk about something. It's going to be a good app, I think. Um, and we, this is where this is where Natalie's going to really learn the magic of editing. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we talk about uh, movies, four of them usually a month, and it's all around the same theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast them. And this week, as I mentioned, second week of a month, we're so excited about uh, Ladies Fright Night, where we ask members of uh, the Dissolve or the Facebook group. Ladies who dissolve uh, to uh, decide both who is going to come on our show and what movies they would be talking about, and we're so excited to have Natalie on. Natalie, we kind of already hinted at it, but what movie did you pick and and why? And then you can also probably introduce yourself somewhere in there as well, because we've been terrible hosts. By we, I mean very specifically me. <laughs> Not a problem. Uh, so I picked uh, The Babadook. Uh, somebody posted that you guys were looking for women who wanted to talk about horror movies by women. And um, I love, love horror movies. I've loved horror movies since I was a kid. I wrote my first scary story when I was in second or third grade. Uh, That's amazing. I'm I'm all about it. It's, it's actually- if we can link to that, if we can link to that in the show notes, if that's on the internet somewhere, <laughs> that'd be very, um, very good. It was it was about uh, a monster called Hangerhead uh, who Ooh. had a head like a hanger. I know that's uh, that's a leap you have to make yourself there. Uh, but he uh, <laughs> only only kids could see him, and he hid in closets, and he like ripped off their limbs and like sucked them dry of their blood. Um, and the opening scene was a mother like staring at the blood stained carpet of her child's room, crying. And my dad was like, I-, "I don't think that you can show this to other kids your age. I think I think this is a little <laughs> beyond them." And I was like, what? You can show that to Aaron. I think it was 
It's like that your teachers are like, you're supposed to draw a pony? I don't know. <laughs> uh so so yeah, so horror horror is a is a one of my favorite favorite genres and the Babadook is a really, really interesting horror movie to me. It's uh, there's there's a lot of layers to it, and there's a lot of ways to interpret it. And I think that there's things because it was written and directed by a woman. There's things that were done that had a man directed it. I think would have been completely different. So uh, it's just it's a great horror movie. And I was pregnant the first time I saw it too, so it was just a great introduction to motherhood for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> We've joked about we've joked about so Aaron has two children and I'd like to have We've them. joked about we that, joked, yeah. About we joked about um, <laughs> the fact that Aaron's a father. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um no we, we joked about the the day when I become I realize I'm becoming a father doing a whole month of like pr- like parent terror movies or like Rosemary's Baby and like Mother and stuff like just to really like really bring up my anxiety to newfound levels. <laughs> Well, I mean, because I have because I have stepkids, I was in that weird like first time mom, but also not kind of uh, a thing, yes. you know. So like like the first time she fell and skinned her knee, I was just like rub some dirt on it, you know. I didn't have yeah. that first mom, you know, <laughs> ah, thing about it. So, uh, but yeah, because you know, I was I was pregnant, and we actually we watched a bunch of horror mo- we watched horror movies all the time, but like we were watching. Uh, the Conjuring, and the power kept going out. And <laughs> I looked at my husband and I said, if you're doing this, he's like, how could I be doing it? I'm laying in bed with you. Like, this is not right. <laughs> I kind of like this. <laughs> that's an elaborate prank and also very annoying for the person that has to keep changing the microwave clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, so, but we didn't let you, you know, not everyone who listens to this is a dissolver. Uh, so we again. I am not doing the best job in the world, but if you could also just introduce yourself in general and tell us uh, uh, three things about yourself, that would be wonderful. Sure. Um, so my name is Natalie. I live in Georgia. Uh, I love movies a lot. Uh, our movie collection is kind of insane. Uh, I love to read, and um, I'm a writer for a living, and that isn't as cool as it sounds. I'm not, like, writing the next great American novel. I write for a company. I write, like, blogs and Knowledge Center articles and emails and things like that. But I guess I'm writing, so that's good. And uh, I'm a giant uh, sports fan. I love the New York Giants, the New York Rangers, the Atlanta Hawks, and uh, Everton. And they're all... uh, breaking my heart constantly <laughs> well i'm a cubs fan so just last night was not great yeah uh, <laughs> uh yeah well it sounds like between all the horror movie watching you guys do and your giant collection I, my guess is the the end of this episode asked with peter and i making a very passionate plea for you and jake to adopt us so, <laughs> just, just know the paperwork's already been emailed to you um and we'll wait till the end for the surprise answer to whether uh, a man in his 30s and a man in his twen- late 20s uh, will be adopted by uh, our guests. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the inspiring story. We have Inspir- we have some sheds in the back. You guys can stay in. It's all right. Multiple sheds, Peter. Sheds. Peter, yeah. sounds like we can have our own shed. Like separate sheds. <laughs> we love to shed. <laughs> we love to shed. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just the, tr- the inspiring story of can... Two independent men go back to dependence uh, bef- far before senility. 
and it sounds like I mean the main reason obviously we wanted to move in was all the the horror movies. I'm not getting a good vibe that the shed has either power or uh, like a TV. <laughs> yeah, is this a power shed? There's no there's no power. There's no TV, but there are a lot of scary tools, which will make the horror movie thing just you know it goes right into the theme. So let me ask you a question: yes. Can uh, Peter and I uh, attack each other's sheds with the tools? <laughs> Yes, I think that'd be an excellent. Uh, I think I think we'll probably have the kids uh, make bets, uh, and you can have cheering sections, and it'll be to the death. Oh, nice! This is the, this is a true <laughs> the true meaning of storage wars. So yeah, so uh, before Peter and I kind of run down, we, last week we kind of talked about our plans and our list. Uh, but Natalie, before we get into uh, that, what is your kind of October ritual? Do you have any exciting plans you're doing this October? Any movies you're planning to watch? Or any movies you've already seen in these first few days that you want to talk about? Yeah, so we always... We watch horror movies year-round, but obviously with it being Halloween, and you know, Halloween for us starts in like August. Uh, that's <laughs> when that's when our daughter is like, so trick-or-treating is happening soon. Yes? Yes? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so October 1st, we started with The Thing. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's fantastic and nihilistic and you can't beat it. Uh, it's my favorite movie. It's, it's so good. Uh, and actually, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a theater there that's doing, they're showing old horror movies every weekend. And so we're going up at the end of the month and we're seeing the original Halloween and the original, uh, Suspiria in theaters, Ooh. um, back to back. I'm so, so jealous. Yeah. So, so, so far you guys watched the thing, anything else? Not yet. Uh, he's actually probably watching Halloween right now. One of them. Um, <laughs> He's not watching the one with Paul Rudd, though. He said he'd wait for me for that one. Uh, <laughs> Anything else before Peter and I uh, give you a deluge of movies that we have subjected ourselves to uh, at the cost of all of our personal relationships and, in my case, health? Uh, no, not not yet. We have a we have a whole list, and you know we have classics that we hit every year. You know, and some mm-hmm. that are very scary, and then some you know like we watch Nightmare Before Christmas on for Halloween and for Christmas every year and but yeah we're we're still just getting into it you know with with four kids and sports yeah. and stuff the the movie the hall you know the spooktober 31 doesn't always end up being 31 for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a it's something that I don't know if I'll be able to do when I have kids but right now woohoo though I do watch a lot of uh, midsummer murder so you know it's not horror but there is a lot of death so. Yeah, it's it's important to get your your uh, your death diet up. Look, it's not scary murder, but it is murder. There is, <laughs> it's it's cheerful murder actually, which is. <laughs> there should be a new Spooktober standard that's like, uh, how many dead bodies can you see in the month? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Peter, since I think my number is still higher than you, and it probably will only be this week. What's your number? Thirteen. That's where I'm at. Damn it. <laughs> I, I thought I could get at least one week where I beat you because I'm going to be gone on a business trip. That's like one of those. Uh, I'll be Are you I'll on be, Halloween Town. No, that counts as ten movies. I'm going to the scariest town in uh, in the country, though. Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, with uh, spooky Republicans. <laughs> that was perfect, by the way. 
Yeah. Ghoulish Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Yeah. He's the scariest person. Yeah. All the scariest people in the country. Uh, speaking of real horrors, I'll reside there. So I will be there. But it's one of those I uh, client conventions where I'll be uh, not have even a second to myself. So you are definitely going to speed ahead of me during that whole week. Uh, but it sounds like I didn't even get one uh, one week to gloat. So thank you, Peter, for once again hurting me. Uh, I can't wait till you have kids. Uh, so you have less you free time. My number. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't say thirteen. I said yeah. three. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. Okay, fine. So you've had thirteen. Go talk about them. Do you say say what now you want? I, well, now I don't want to talk about it. It's well, I don't want you to, but you've. Go ahead. Well, we both watched Triangle, right? Yeah, Triangle's extremely good. It's actually, I think, of the 13 movies I've watched before, Triangle is my favorite. Triangle uh, is, is yeah, one of the best ones I've watched this month so far. It genuinely disturbed me, but I don't want to say much about it because the mystery box element of it is, is so potent. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, I, I didn't know what was the concept of the movie, so we won't ruin it. Um, but the second I realized what the concept was about 30 minutes in, I'm like, oh, this is so my shit. This is like my favorite yeah. thing that a movie can do. Uh, and it didn't disappoint. Yeah, that was definitely the most unique thing I've watched this month. And one of the coolest, uh, the biggest surprise for thing that I loved was Salem's Lot, the Toby Hooper series. I watched that last year. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's way cooler than it should be it doesn't feel like a tv movie especially in that new blu-ray it's really pretty to look at it doesn't yeah. have that sort of toby hooper looseness it's it's pretty it's pretty fun pretty tight um pretty pretty tight three and a half hours yeah but like the story i don't feel like it wasted my time like i watched yeah. all both you know both halves in quotes in one day don't feel like it wasted my time also pretty creepy uh, yeah, which surprised me for a TV movie from the seventies. Like, had no, it had no right to be as good as it is. Um, and then the uh, another highlight was Boris Karloff. I watched two Boris Karloff movies. Only one of them was worth talking about, which is The Body Snatcher, and it's maybe my favorite Boris Karloff performance I've ever seen, including Frankenstein. He plays a body snatcher, someone who steals bodies for a medical campus, and he's syrupy, you know, top hatted evil. Um, Sort of Babadooky a little bit. I uh, mean, everyone in the 1940s wore those hats, so. Yeah. It, it was Babadook. in the 40s, everyone was kind of a Babadook. <laughs> and then Aaron last year watched Something Wicked This Way Comes. I watched it this year. Uh, hardly can consider that a kid's movie. I loved it. Loved every part of it, especially the sort of era effects of it. Uh, it's incredibly creepy. Jonathan Price and Jason Robards' performance really stands up in it. Um and then, you know, the rest, uh, and then there was Phantom Carriage, which is a, a silent Swedish movie. Not quite horror movie, but uh, it's uh, beautiful to look at. And that Criterion Restoration is totally worth checking out. Um, more of like a fantasy kind of thing, like Destiny, or it inspired um, Seventh, uh, Seventh Seal. Um, and then the uh, the weirdest one I watched so far was V, V-I-Y, which is this uh, Russian movie um from the 60s about a guy who has to watch a corpse and pray over it a, a priest who has to watch over a corpse and pray over it for three nights of this witch that he murdered <laughs> um and you know it's a little it, there's some you know some light spooky stuff happening for the first two nights and then night three it just becomes house <laughs> it's fucking insane huh. 
It's it's nuts. And it's like 71 minutes. It's on YouTube. I haven't seen any like new restorations of it anywhere so in in America at least. So uh I highly recommend it so you can see that um there's no it doesn't betray at all that the ending will go there. Um but yeah, there were there were some other ones, but I I think those were the highlights. Oh, I did watch Psychomania. Which Oh, is, yeah. that's on my list for this month too. Yeah, definitely oh. worth watching. Okay. Uh crazy like psychedelic biker movie but with uh suicide and satan in it uh yeah that's awesome anything else uh that should be it like, there's a couple other ones but i think those the the, the highlights all right uh so as i said i did 13.01 so slightly higher than peter <laughs> um and uh i started with upgrade which uh is from this year uh kind of a sci-fi horror robocop take uh and i i loved it um it's rad i don't want to say too much about it because it is so recent like it just came out to rent i think a week or so ago but uh, if you're looking for a 2018 sci-fi horror movie that's a good one it's Uh, a kick-ass action movie i i recommend it sort of in the vein of the guest sort of like action but it's creepy house on sorority row which was like a you know a slasher movie that's pretty standard 80s slasher and then gets pretty fucking nuts in the last 20 minutes. Um, I, in preparation for next week's episode, uh, Freddy's Dead, I watched the uh, two Nightmare on Elm Street movies I hadn't seen before, which is four and five. And four is really fucking good. Four is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, and five is is the one that like everyone fucking hates, but I still, like it's not a four or five star movie. But it's like three stars. It has some really uh, creative death scenes. And with Lizette, our guest next week, who's coming to talk about how much she loves Freddy's Dead, I, I can't imagine I'm going to dislike that. I I think the Nightmare on Elm Street series is like good all the way through, which is kind of crazy for these 80s multi-sequeled um, horror franchise. Like everyone knows Friday the 13th has some bad entries and – child's play and halloween and all these things but like the nightmare on elm street like have not just been watchable but like even the ones that i always heard were shit like two and four and five like two and four are like four four and a half star movies for me i've just been remarkably impressed with these nightmare on elm street sequels that i have avoided because of reviewers contemporary reviewers that were like this is one of the shitty ones um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was this reviewer a sad turtle uh, yeah yeah <laughs> is this one of the shitty ones this is one of the shitty ones <laughs> i am picturing specifically gene shallot but after like a bend <laughs> after like a bender where he's not doesn't have the gene shallot energy i watched lank mungo which is really good uh kind of like sad hopeful found footage movie that one uh, actually scared me i would say it did creep the shit out of me. The uh, so one that I jumped the most at was actually The Dream Child, Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Um, <laughs> I'm watching that tomorrow. There's a, there's a lot of good effective jump scares, even if it's probably... I've watched a lot of good movies, so I don't mean this is an insult. It's probably the worst movie I watched. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, everything else has been like three and a half to five stars. And that was one I gave three stars to, but I still like enjoyed it. I watched Pumpkinhead. Which yeah. is really good. Great Stan Winston effects movie he directed. The original Mummy, which really threw me off because there was no mummy in it. Uh, but it was really good. Uh, <laughs> you mean like there's no wrapped mummy? Yeah, but there's like there's one on the poster. Oh, yeah. That's weird. That's probably from one of the sequels. 
one of the uh, many many sequels. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, I guess the seek uh, they never actually made a direct sequel to this. They restarted it with the Mummy's Hand, and that's where like the Mummy that you know comes from. So, but uh, it was really good anthology movie from Beyond the Grave, Triangle, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is one of Peter's big recommendations for this year, which was great. Um, you can hear Peter rave about that uh, on one of last year's episodes. Uh, the 1988 remake of The Blob, which was also just, I mean, I just watched so many good movies. Uh, Train to Busan, which was one of my favorites as well. Kind of a zombie movie I've been saving for a special occasion. And everyone was right. Man, it is a good movie. Uh, and then Fascination, the Gene Rowland movie that was also a Peter recommendation. That how much I was driving this month. I mean, I said it last week that my mini theme to my list this year was like shit Peter's recommended over the last three years that I haven't got around to. So I'm glad that nothing has given you an adverse reaction yet. No, and I and I I was kind of you know I looking at my list like I didn't include that many movies that are like those. I'm kind of curious about this, but I've never heard anyone say anything about it, so I don't know what to expect. But I, I've just really watched a lot of good movies, which is a important when you've watched 13 movies in four days, technically three days, because I hadn't watched <laughs> anything today. Uh, it's the fourth, and also just kind of driving that energy where I want to consume more. It it has been a really good month so far, and yeah, Peter, a lot of great recommendations from you, a lot of stuff you've been pushing for, uh, and I'm still saving a lot of those. Like I almost watched Messiah of Evil, and I'm like, I'm gonna save. That. <laughs> so you guys want to talk about the Babadook? Yeah, let's talk about yes. the Babadook. alternate taglines and i feel like all of your buy a condom jokes really took the wind out of my alternate taglines they were so funny when i came up with them originally so all right great funny a second time uh baba shook me all night long i i heard a cartoon uh oh feet noises and a slamming door natalie <laughs> no, actually, the the Baba Shook one makes me laugh because um, you know the Baba Duck is a queer icon. So um, yes, <laughs> I I looked up the history for how that happened, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's um, fantastic, and I yeah. love it. Um, I, I'm I'm also in uh, the queer dissolve group. Um, I'm Pan. So um, it's uh, the Baba Duck, and it's great. There's actually a gay Baba Duck Twitter account. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, and what's great is uh, something that happens a lot in the queer community sometimes is there can be uh, some bi erasure. And somebody said, you know, the B in LGBT stands for Babadook and gay Babadook was having none of it. It's like, Babadook is not about bi erasure. There's room for all of us. <laughs> um, and uh, so oh, you'll see. BBT. <laughs> you'll, see, uh, you'll see the Babadook at a lot of pride parades and stuff now. And I think that's fantastic. It is just one of those great things where it did just kind of start as like a Twitter joke and then um, people kind of took that and said, actually, no, the, this this movie has a lot of themes that can relate to the queer experience. So, uh, But we can get into that a little bit later. Peter, do you want to give us a quick recap for those that have not I'd seen it? I'd love to. I'd love to. So, The Babadook is about 
I really hope this recap doesn't make anyone mad. Uh, Amelia has a son, Samuel, uh, who was born the day that his father died. His father was driving him to the ho- driving him and uh, and Amelia to the hospital and uh, to give birth to Samuel. And uh, there was a car crash. Amelia, you know, went to the hospital, gave birth to Samuel, and the husband died. The actual plot is about Amelia, who is a caretaker worker at a senior facility. Her her son Samuel, who is an asshole. He's sort of a <laughs> he's sort of a child. <laughs> Sort of a, a child, uh, yeah. if, if I can put a word for it. He's, he's a pre- precocious sort of if Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone were a real kid kind of thing. And uh, he's giving her, Amelia, a lot of trouble. She's very stressed out. She's having trouble sleeping. She doesn't have like any sort of – she can't have really sort of any internal life because of how stressful it is being a single mother in this particular situation with a, a troubled child who has behavioral problems. And he uh, he's kind of alienating her among her friends, or I guess his behavior more specifically is alienating her among her friends um, because they just don't seem to, I mean, in the, in the parlance of one of her friends, uh, I don't like being around your son. They, they, they soon alienate her, kind of push her away. And at the same time, a book, called Mr. Babadook, shows up uh, in her room one night when she's trying to read him a goodnight story. And he's sort of one of those kids who, you know, behind closed doors, he's kind of a sweet kid. And then when she turns his ba- turns her back, he can be, you know, violent or defensive or, you know. He's basically getting pushed into a special program at school so he can't be around the other children. Um, so so one day she's reading Mr. Babadook to him and... and uh, the story is very fucking scary, and she has no idea where the book came from, and uh, Samuel freaks out. She start, tries to read him another story to calm him down, um, and then she's so mad at the book, she ends up burning it. Another copy shows up um, with more chapters included, and essentially- And some story, threats about burning it, like, fuck yes. you. Don't burn me. The, the Babadook story is about- um, Top-hatted, long-clawed, sort of Victorian-looking creature. Um, and what we would find out later, a member of the LGBT community. Queer icon, the Babadook. Queer icon, the Babadook. He is, he, he, you know, he shows up, and the more you fight him, the closer he comes in, the f- harder and faster he comes in. All you have to do is is let him in just once, and he will just constrict around you tighter and tighter and tighter until he gets you. Uh, one night, after you know hearing these stories, Essie Davis, or sorry, Amelia has what she assumes is a nightmare, where the Babadook approaches her in her bedroom and jumps into her mouth. From that point on, she, her mental deterioration just accelerates and accelerates and accelerates. And at the same time, her son Samuel is seems to see the Babadook and, and wants to like fight him and defend his mother. But to her, she's just seeing more of his violent, unruly behavior. So she's like trying to tamp down on him she, while also dealing with these, the, this, the fact that she can't sleep anymore because of this Babadook curse that she's essentially opened up on herself or has been dropped on her. As the movie goes on, she starts to see this, this top-hatted, terrifying creature throughout the house. And, and she starts to basically go Jack Torrance. 
she starts to be more violent and restrictive with her son and she starts to lose her mental state of mind and the house seems to be deteriorating. She starts to sort of become more insular. She has sort of a dead eye. She can't sleep. All of the sort of, you know, Jack Torrance descent into madness stuff until eventually she becomes, she, she basically tries to kill her son and her son uses the Home Alone style traps to... Uh, trap her and um and because he is convinced that there is you know a babadook this demon thing inside of her through a little bit of his help and then ultimately her decision she extricates the babadook from her body and she faces down the tragedy of the loss of her husband and she uh ultimately comes to a strange accord with the babadook where it becomes a creature that lives in her basement it's still scary but it has its own unique place in her house and she can feed it worms and it's it's no longer haunting her life it's just another duty along with all the other duties and she seems much happier samuel seems much better adjusted and much happier and uh yeah that's the babadook yeah and that's because uh the babadook is is a metaphor for the trauma she went through so it's that idea of trauma doesn't necessarily leave your house doesn't leave you but you need to figure out a way to manage it so it doesn't destroy you and everything around you yeah um, it could be it's a really it's a really but there's so uh, yeah it's got a lot of things to say so yeah but it's like really limber metaphor for for mental illness of all sorts yep um, as somebody who struggles with anxiety and depression i really really like the the metaphor of like it's in the basement you can't just lock the door and leave it down there occasionally you have to go down there and tend to it yep uh, but it is in the basement when you're in a you know in a good state. It's it's not haunting the rest of your life. You can you can have a you can have a wrangle on it, but you can never quite kill it, so to speak. And that's that's one of the things to start at the end. You know, one of the things I love about this movie is it sort of flips a typical horror movie trope on its head, where the monster is neither defeated nor does it come back for one last scare to set up a sequel. The monster is just going to be there. And you're going to deal with it. And that's how it is. And that's not something you see in horror a lot. And that was another thing that I really liked about it. So I'd, I'd watch a sequel called Babadook 2 Still Dukin. Babadook 2 Electric Babadook. Yeah. Still Duke Duke Dukin. Um, <laughs> too bad, too Dukin. Uh, really quickly, the, that, that sort of treatment of mental illness as this thing that you have to contend with, but you can actually get your life back in a lot of ways like yes it'll be different but you can get your life back um makes it a an extremely optimistic movie b the only the only thing that dies in it is uh the dog yep um it's very I guess sad the, yeah it, it is very sad it's sort of like the conjuring where the dog is used as a um like a hey shit's getting real here guys and then that's they basically kill the dog so they don't have to kill any of the kids right yes um but but I I've talked shit about a specific movie called Lights Out before. I thought that was going to come up, which is like yes, which is which is. I, have you seen Lights Out, Natalie? I don't think so. Don't. It is one of the most <laughs> offensive movies ever. Uh, but the message of that movie is mental illness is a uh, or trauma is a burden on everyone around you, and it'd be better off if you uh, for your family if you uh, killed yourself. Oh god. And uh so yeah, that movie made me uh, lights out made me very angry and uh would you say it made you like 
lights out angry. <laughs> it did. And also, like, even if I ignored that, like, it's kind of a fucking boring horror movie. After yeah, it's not that good. Minutes. Yeah. Um, it's not something where I'm like, like Death Wish 3 or something where I'm like, I'm like, you know, this movie was clearly made for fascist reasons. But like, holy shit, have you seen Death Wish 3? It doesn't work on that level. Anyways, but yeah, that's why I love the ending of the movie. And yeah, we uh, let's talk about specific histories here. So I I thought this movie was okay the first time I saw it. And um, I like a three-star movie. And that is because I made the mistake that I criticize a lot of people for, which is like, I wasn't scared by it. And and that's not a, a judgment that I usually put on horror movies. They don't need to scare me. And I, you know, sometimes I'm sure we've, as horror movie fans, we've been in arguments with people where we're like, well, it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't scary. It's like, well, hold on. The horror movies are about scary subjects, but like there's, there's, there's more to them than if they personally scared you. And if the, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to judge them by. But I, I just was so primed for this movie. Like, Every fucking – and it was it was really on the forefront of kind of the indie horror revolution. And so, it was before a lot of these like It Follows and, and some of these uh, – The Witch and a lot of uh, – a lot of other great indie horror movies that came out. But everything I saw leading up to this was like, this is the fucking scariest movie you're ever going to see. Like, William Franken on Twitter was like, it's Alien, The Exorcist, and this. Like, that's it. That's the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. So, I as a horror movie fan was like, oh my god. This movie is going to scare the shit out of me. And so I was like – I was doing the thing that you should never do, which is I was so focused on the concept that I'm going to get scared by this movie that I wasn't paying attention to the movie as much as I should have. And at the end of it when I was like, oh, yeah, there's a couple scary parts, but that wasn't as scary as everyone said. I was like, yeah, so I guess it was fine. Like it wasn't until I rewatched it with someone who had wanted to see it. I'm like, yeah, that was good. We can watch that. That I was like, oh, holy shit. This movie's a, like fantastic. Oh, this has so much to say. And now that I'm not so focused on when am I going to get scared, which is an impossible metric for a movie to, to live up to when you're that focused on the possibility of being scared that like what it was trying to say and uh, everything else just became so much more potent. Uh, and watching it now, again, uh, for the first time in a couple of years, was even more potent because w- I'm sure we'll get into it. But this movie ticks off, like, every parental anxiety I have on a daily basis. Like, from the big ones to, like, I don't want my kid to get hurt to, like, what if my kid doesn't get invited to a birthday party that they want to go to? Like, this really has a lot to say about uh, having kids in general and – um, about uh, motherhood specifically. There's going to be so much to get into. I'm so excited. It is funny that you mention uh, that because we talked about Ravenous last week and I had a similar reaction where I didn't like it at first because I set weird specific expectations about its, its scariness or something and I just let everything else it was doing miss me. Um, and then I watched it, you know, again for the show or, you know, I, I watched it a second time basically and I was like, oh, I get it. This is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Nellie, what's your what's your history with this with this thing? So, I first saw it when it, you know, first hit streaming and everybody was talking about it. And I was blown away by it then. And I loved it. And I was pregnant at the time. And women get pigeonholed in horror movies a lot, especially mothers. So, uh, you know, they're always the, the protector. 
you know, you mentioned how she goes Jack Torrance because it's not, it's never the mom. The mom's protecting from the crazy kid or the outsiders or the crazy dad or things like that. So, the first time I saw it, I was absolutely blown away by it. And I actually, they had, uh, they were selling original Babadook books, handcrafted Babadook books when it first came out. And I missed getting one by like an hour and a half. And I was so bummed. Um, and it's $80, which at the time I could see that being like, I don't want to spend $80. And then I, I, you see the movie again and you're like, would have been worth it. This thing is, <laughs> this thing is so cool. Yeah, and then, and then rewatching it, uh, for for this podcast, uh, I actually I was upstairs watching it, and uh, I messaged my husband, and I was like, "Wow, um, this movie is crazy depressing." Yeah, <laughs> uh, like it's way way more depressing. It's still it's still scary, and it's still good, and it's still you know there's still a lot of great stuff to it. But it was it just struck me as a lot more like, "Oh, honey, I just want to give you a hug." Yeah, I want to give you. I want to get you a babysitter and give you a night off. I just, I was so sad uh, for her on on rewatch. Or just a lock on her door. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just why can't she have that like few minutes alone in bed before her son interrupts her? Like that scene really bothered me. I was like, she doesn't even get that in the middle of the night. I mean, you gotta lock the door though. It's <laughs> very. Important. I assume there was no lock. <laughs> but uh, it's you know it's. I think that if a man had directed this movie, a lot of it would have been different. And some of it is bigger things, and some of it is small things from the nightgown that she's wearing. The nightgown that she's wearing is pretty typical of a mom nightgown. And I feel like if a man had been directing it, uh, it would have been a lot less (laughs) material. Um, and so there's just small things like that, that, you know, there's, there's the absence of the male gaze, which is not something you see in horror a lot. And, yeah. um, and it really, uh, if it's okay to start, you know, getting, yeah. getting into the, the nitty gritty oh, yeah. of it, uh, there's a, there's a great, there's a, there's almost a, a part where the beginning of the movie sets it up as if Samuel is the problem. And, you know, he's, you know, Peter described him as an asshole kid. And uh, he's, you know, he's... Sort of tongue-in-cheek. I understand. He's kid. He's, you know, he's he's difficult. And, uh, but a lot of that is, stems from a fear he has from never having known his father. Um, and it's very clear that Amelia loves her son because when they tell her that he needs a monitor, she's like, no, he needs teachers that fucking give a shit, not a fucking monitor. You know, (laughs) she doesn't say it the way that that's how I would say it to the principal. She's much politer about it. Um, But uh, it's and then and then the flip happens where all of those dark things that you feel that you're not supposed to say, especially to your kids. Yeah. She starts saying and she starts oh. doing and you start seeing Samuel for what he is, which is a vulnerable kid. Yeah. And and it's funny because the reason that he comes off as difficult is because he's scared of monsters. And this movie shows us that he was right. There was a fucking monster. He was right all along. And the neighbor says something about that, how kids see things that nobody else sees. And that's something, you know, the 
<laughs> the director, Jennifer Kent, said that she wanted to show parenting in a more realistic way. And I think that she she did that in a number of ways. And one of those is in the beginning of the movie, nobody listens to Samuel. Nobody believes yep. him. And that's something that you know, if you look at our nihilistic Gen Z uh, upcoming generation online, that's something they complain about all the time is that they try to tell their parents, like, I'm stressed about this. I'm having, you know, issues with this. Like, I, my mental health is blah, blah, blah. And their parents are like, rub some dirt on it, shake it off. That That's something that I think outside of the horror genre that people have talked about on why they love movies that have come out recently, like Pete's Dragon and Brigsby Bear, which are really about like, hey, you can't just do your best when it comes to like dealing with people experiencing trauma, but like you need to listen to what they need and not always think about like um, what I think is best to fix your problem. Right, right. And and also, you know, she, you know, people talk about the realistic portrayal of parenting. And I think yeah. that that comes in in two ways here. One is how exhausted she is and and how she's struggling to be a mom. You're not supposed to say that as a mom. You're not supposed to admit that sometimes you just want to run away and give the fucking kids to the circus because it's not what it is to be a mom. Uh, so it definitely and usually when somebody says a realistic portrayal of parenting, that's the kind of shit they're talking about, which this movie definitely does. But it also does the other thing where we fail as parents by brushing our kids off because they're kids and we don't want to deal with it or we don't believe them because they're kids. And um, and I think that, you know, how it sets it up in one way where you're on Amelia's side in the beginning and then when she starts her descent into Babadook possession, uh, that's when you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. No. No, Samuel's not the bad guy. Amelia, stop. What are you doing? No, no, yeah. you know, and it's um it's really great. And I think that the the metaphor aspect of it, which is, you know, trauma or mental illness, whatever you way you want to talk about it, is Peter, I think it was you that was talking earlier about how you can't just shove it in the basement and ignore it. Um, Aaron, maybe it's you. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Um, I'm drinking wine. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think it's confusing you because we both said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the line in the book that gets repeated a lot, other than, you know, ba ba ba, duk duk duk, is if it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Yeah. And what that means, you know, if you're looking at the metaphor aspect of it is even if you think you have it under control, you're going to say something or you're going to make you're going to make a face. Something is going to happen to show that you haven't you don't have it as under control as you think that you do. And that's something I struggle, you know, I have I have anxiety which is just like having a conspiracy theorist in your head constantly <laughs> yeah. telling you that everybody <laughs> is against you and hates you and thinks you're the worst. Um and it's not your fault having mental illness is not your fault, but how you respond to it and how you treat people because of it is that is on yeah. you. Um and I think that there's a lot of lines in the movie and a lot of things in the movie that dive into that that's really interesting. Well, in this movie you're I want to circle back to something you said about like kind of the protagonist shift um, that this movie does so effectively. A protagonist shift in a, any movie is so difficult to pull off. Like there's some very famous ones like Psycho uh, and I would say uh, the aforementioned proxy is a good example of something where the protagonist shifts. But usually the protagonist shift indicates that like um, a new person is taking over for the protagonist 
uh, like a like a completely new person that wasn't in the rest of the movie. Like the person that you thought you'd be following has been removed from the, the movie in some capacity. And this does it in this kind of amazing way that I can't really think of another example of, as you said, makes the person who you viewed as a monster for 75% of this movie all of a sudden look like a scared kid who loves his mom. And it makes the person you've been sympathizing with the entire movie turn into a monster in about a five-minute time frame. And, like, I do want to underline how effective and how unprepared I may have even been the first time I watched it. Because the movie is training you to go, yeah, man, this kid is just a little shit. He is the worst. And you're watching all these things. And whether you're a parent or not a parent, it's been kind of a running joke throughout this podcast. It's like, make sure you wear condoms, have birth control, all that kind of stuff. But it's because, like, this is like the kid from hell that everyone worries about having. And you realize that that because you've been viewing him through a mom who's struggling with trauma and mental illness and everything else. The the movies put you in her perspective and with where her head's at, that's how she is viewing this. And then it shifts. And now you're seeing the mom through this, this little six year old boy's eyes or eight year old boy's eyes. And it's like, Oh my God, this poor kid, he, he's doing pretty good considering actually. Yeah. She rips her own tooth out. Like that is some, horrific shit what the fuck i remember the first time i was watching that and she ripped her tooth out i was like what is happening right now yeah that was a that was a one-two punch where i i started watching this with my i started watching this with my fiance and she has like very specific things that uh bother her in movies and it's usually not gore it's usually not death or whatever we watched a lot of the walking dead together before we gave up like none of that really shook her that much except for like oh shit what's gonna happen next week the stuff that bothers her happens within a 30 second time frame in this movie the dog dying the dog dies and she tears (laughs) out her own tooth those are her two least favorite things the things that make her like cover her eyes and like want to run out of the room um and and they're in a 30 second time span like she like i'm really glad she passed out well before that came (laughs) and the dog dying you know and the dog dying is foretold in mr babadook yeah Um, it's it's somewhat more it's, it's it's like equally disturbing in the book as it is in the movie it is and it's it's dog dying in movies a lot of people care more about that than they do about kids dying oh, yeah. uh they or people dying i remember the when i saw dante's peak uh when i was in junior high and i was like oh no oh no and my friends were like oh the grandma i was like fuck her the dog <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's a it's it's a that's not just a anecdotal thing like i i think you saw the same study as me like there's uh, actual studies that show that people shown the same two events yeah death of a person death of a dog uh in film you know from a distance uh immediately worry more about the dog than well there's there's a whole website called does the dog die that you can <laughs> check to find out if the website it is because my my wife's the exact same way um but there's not a there's not a website called does the baby die uh, and if there was <laughs> It'd probably be some weird pro-life website. <laughs> Does the baby uh, die? Yes, we're killing it's, 80 I mean, it's, million a year. <laughs> it's why people love John Wick so much, because they all they all understand how upset he is. It is. It feels... 
it would be exploitative if it happened like late in the movie, but it's the whole point of the movie is that people love dogs, so it doesn't feel exploitative in that way, right? Like it's it's a weird thing. Um so I did think the it, sequel is gonna be like he got a new dog that died. Um, yeah, I'm glad, really I'm glad, glad that we didn't have to watch another dog die. <laughs> like really Get a cat, buddy. Get a cat, John. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though because my my uh we my uh my fiance and i both have never had cats before um and we're not like anti-cat people we like cats but th- when a cat dies in the movie i'll like look at her and she's just like yeah a cat a cat died i mean it's also <laughs> sad when the guy died i don't know why you're looking at me <laughs> like it just doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same thing so i i do want to mention so i actually wrote down i was surprised how many how much this movie had to say in 90 minutes and like all the different like things it touched. So I like wrote down an incomplete list. It really has a lot to say. And um, beyond just being a, a very well told uh, horror movie, like it's about how society doesn't support uh, moms or especially single mothers or parents in general. Like how uh, it's about dealing with trauma. It's about how your trauma and pain affects your family and kids and people that you care about even if you're not realizing it. It's about how like the lack of medical care and how jobs and capitalism and leaves of absences are like not respected. Like I just think of like these those horrifying moments of like she just wants to – like she is going through a lot and wants to take a couple weeks off of – work and she's worried about losing her job and how she's going to support the uh you know her family and her kid and meanwhile there's like people from child services who probably should be there based on what's actually going on but they're just there because the kids are not out of school. school for a couple days and she's like we are working on some stuff um <laughs> and it, it just really is like how you know beyond the trauma and stuff like that about how and especially the, there's the, there's a moment that I want to really underline here because it really is, I think, the movie in a microcosm about like how it treats uh, – how, how our society a lot of times treats uh, parents but more specifically uh, moms and single moms, which is the car crash where there's a, there's a dude that runs up to help her and in theory, he runs up to help because the car crash. Then he yells at her. Calls her a crazy bitch when uh, when she's like, I don't like. I just got into a car crash with my kid, and now you're yelling at me. I like, I don't have time for this. She's like, What are you, some sort of crazy bitch? Uh, when she doesn't want to deal with the yelling, like it's like I'm here to help, but also berate you. And then if you're like, Please stop berating me. I'm trying to deal with something. I'm gonna call you names and scream at you even more. Like and call you a bad mother. Yeah, it's it just like. That was such a brutal moment, especially especially this watch where it's like, oh, that's that's the little the the whole the way that um, there is just not a support system for and, and the way our society views single mothers. It's just like, yeah, you're terrible at this or mothers in general, as you're saying. Yeah, I love the line. And by love, I mean, it makes me enraged when she's at the party and someone says, I, I do do some volunteer work with some disadvantaged women, and some of them have lost their husbands. Like, that condescending ass bullshit that comes out of people that just, like, don't really understand, but they're talking about you like you're an event they saw on the news and not a person. Yes, like, or in the, I, I know, and he's been working so much that I can't even get down to the gym. Like, what? and it's not it's one of those things where i try to tell people like i hate i hate pain olympics everybody has shit you are allowed to complain but when there is a woman who is clearly struggling who doesn't have a husband don't pretend like you know what it's like to be a single mother when there's an actual single mother among you like that's not cool you can't do that and 
but what that scene I think and you know showcases so well is that in our society we don't want you to be dealing with your trauma for longer than we are comfortable for. Yeah. We think you should exactly. be over it, so you need to be over it and that you're not is creepy and weird and I don't know how to deal with you anymore. Like I brought you a casserole, so you <laughs> should be you should be fine now. And since you're not, like you just need to stay over there because I don't have time to deal with your shit. Well yeah, it's the way everyone the from the social services to the police, to her friends, to her family. Like, everyone's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's something off about you. Um, we're, but, you know, it's been a while. Like, you need to just get it all together or yeah. just there's there's no one for her to reach out to. It, there's, a, there's a couple quotes in this that I really love. And it's one is, isn't it time you moved on? Just like, when is when is time to move on from your, your dead husband? Uh, I'm sure she hasn't been trying at all to get on with her life, seeing how she's been going to work and taking her kid to school every day and cooking her meals every day. I'm sure she's not, you know, trying. The fact that she's humoring Robbie um, sort of in like a – the fact that she's even humoring Robbie as like a friendship or a companion in some ways kind of shows that she's not completely, you know, blocked off from the idea of moving on. Um and the idea of moving on is not necessarily finding a new man. The idea of moving on is, you know, being comfortable with yourself as, you know, this is your new life completely. Um, and she's clearly dealing with some of the trauma, but also some of that is not just with it coming from within herself. Some of it is social trauma, um, like we just talked about. And I love how uh, she doesn't ever bring up her dead husband. Um her son does quite a bit. Her son does. <laughs> and she and she doesn't bring it up to her friends ever. She's just trying to like get the fuck out of the house and have her, you know, son go and, you know, socialize with some kids and she can maybe like pound some wine before she has to go home um to her blue house uh with her blue curtains and blue walls, <laughs> blue banister, and every little thing in her world is blue. Uh, <laughs> is her car blue? No. Uh, Are you saying that this is an adaptation of the Eiffel 65? <laughs> I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it, you know? Uh, <laughs> literally everything. Even her sheets. I mean, cool. think about this. Duke, 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 Baba Dee, Doo Da. Pretty close. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm Duke, Daba Dee, Daba Duke. <laughs> oh, it's... I think we got an opening track for this song. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the first, isn't, the, isn't the first line when you're alone and you need a friend? Uh, that's a total. That's downtown. Oh. Whoops! Can you edit that in? Uh, but yeah, but just, this is yo. Listen up. Here's the story. <laughs> oh, listen up. Here's the story. Got it. Remember about a little Baba Duke that lives. But yeah, she says people keep bringing it up. Like it's not. It's not her being like, oh yeah, when me and my dad husband. And she's like, people just keep talking to her in a pitiful manner. They aren't treating her like a Or even if they don't bring it up, they like half. they have that tone of like, um, I'm gonna talk in a very certain way because I know you're not you're different than other people that I talk to, so I'm going to talk down to you in a way like I'm a child as a way to like protect my feelings in some weird way. Well, um, it, it's funny that you mentioned that as uh 
examples of her trying to move on because to me, her refusal to talk about it is directly tied to her inability to move on. Like that's where some of the Babadook stuff ties into because she's trying to keep it locked in the basement without feeding it worms. And that's why it escapes and tries to suffocate her. Like it's because she's not dealing with it. If she were truly trying to move on, she'd be trying to talk about it and not freak out and not let her son look at pictures of (laughs) his father and be able to have a conversation about him without losing her shit. And there's no timeline for that. And I'm not saying she should be there, but in my opinion, until the end when she has the Babadook on a leash, she's not even trying. Like, that's that's when she starts trying to really process and move on from the trauma. Before that, she was just trying to ignore the trauma and move on. And you can't do that. And that's why she wasn't able to move on. And not like you not do that as a way to, to move on, like, by t- ignoring the trauma, as I mentioned, like, there is a lot of, like, how much you you end up giving to your kids like your kids just totally feed off your energy as somebody knows who has kids if 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 you are having a bad day there's a good chance that your kid is going to be maybe not listen as much and it's because of little conscious things that you're probably doing like you're not giving them the space to have a conversation you're not giving them the case and you know with a 4-year-old to to you know, make a mistake here and there, and you just don't have the patience for it, and and that ends up reflecting in their behavior. Like you, your mood is is going to affect your child. So when you are dealing with that level of trauma, the idea of not being able to don't think she recognizes by trying to hide it away, uh, hide it under a bushel. No, it's it's that kid's. <laughs> can see can is is being uh, affected by the pain so part of the reason that he is probably uh again this is kind of touched on briefly but part of the reason he is acting out and is like kind of being a little bit of a terror is just because she, you know she's he's probably not getting the level of engagement that you need as a as a as a eight-year-old or a seven-year-old and that probably goes from you know one two three four five because clearly this is something that has been affecting her since the moment that he was born and I, I love there's a specific moment that I think probably anybody who's had their heart broken can relate to. Um, there's a moment when she's taking some time to herself and she sees a couple in their car like making out like clearly a very young couple, like a new couple. Because um, like it doesn't feel like if you've been together for 20 years, you're like, like cutely and flirtatiously like kissing on each other like she. She, like, watches this couple just being very, like, physically affectionate and very outwardly projecting that affection on one, uh, you know, on each other into the world. She looks, like, truly bummed out by this. And that is something I think most people can agree, like, uh, you know, agree with. When you feel really alone or you've had your heart broken or something and you see, like, other people being in a state that seems like perfect bliss, you're like, ugh, fucking stop. Like... Like, that's enough. There's a reason slasher movies come out on Valentine's Day. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's a there's a loneliness in in seeing other people's joy, and it's a terrible part of the human design, but it is there. It's an interesting thing because the whole movie 
really reflects back on her inner drama and and it sort of forms out from concentric circles from there uh, in a way that like affects everything. And in such a way that like, yeah, there's that flip that you guys referenced where all of a sudden Samuel is the protagonist. Um, that, that when that flip happens, it's very disorienting to an audience in a good way because this whole time you've just been like, Poor Amelia, like, can she just catch a fucking break? Like, this poor woman. Um, and then when it finally happens, you're like, holy shit, like, Samuel, get the fuck out of the house. Get the fuck out of the house. Um, I think it helps that he's a, he's a really good performer. It's a really, like, shameless performance. I think the kid was six at the time. He, is, the, the character is six. I'm not sure how old the actor was. They said, at least I read somewhere, that they were going to cast a little up, which is usually what they do, because kids have the maturity to... Kids have the maturity sort of to react to the scene a little bit better. They can handle the workday a little bit better in particular. Um, that's why Macaulay Culkin was still playing like a 10-year-old when he was like 15, um, 16. Um, he, but they cast, you know, the age it was. And then Jennifer Kent being awesome was like just worked very hard to keep a lot of the scary stuff away from a six-year-old. Um, he, she basically like told him a different version of what the story was, right? She wasn't like, well, you know, sometimes when mommies have children, all of their dreams die. <laughs> she wasn't like that. She was like, sometimes, sometimes you're just fucking sick of your talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, you, she talked about it. She's like, well, I told him that, you know, there was a monster and you're helping your mommy get rid of that monster. And then they would like get him off set when they were actually doing Babadook effects, crawling on the ceiling and, and all that. He's, he's a great actor, partially because he feels so unmannered. He feels so real and raw and, like, doesn't care about looking shrill. You also get a sense that he has dealt with this for longer than we as an audience are aware of. There's a, the funniest moment in the movie that just kind of speaks in, a, in another way to, like, kids' resilience, even even in the worst possible situation, but also tells you a lot about what kind of character he actually is as opposed to what character we've been viewing through the prism of, uh, of, of, of his mom's eyes, which is when she comes in with a knife, he doesn't hesitate. He's like, oh, she's got that knife? All right. He just – he's not scared. He doesn't yell out and scream. He just bolts top speed to his catapult. He's like, fucking finally, catapult time. <laughs> like, I knew this was coming. Um, why I built the catapult. Why I built the – yeah, this is exactly why I built this. And it just shows exactly, like, um, just how – because that is the other thing about uh, about kids. Like, their normal becomes their normal very quickly, and they can be – while it can definitely cause a lot of uh, behavioral issues and maybe some long-term stuff, like, they can be pretty unflappable in the moment in a way that adults aren't. They don't have, like, the social context to be like, this is when I'm supposed to be crying, right? I thought at first it was a crazy kid movie. I thought it was going to be the inverse, like a bad seed kind of thing, where, yeah, she's being haunted by this ghost, and then the ghost gets in her son, and then, which isn't the plot of the bad seed, but... um. But then the son ends up basically haunting her. I thought it was going to be like that kind of movie. Um, and that's and generally how it is with with mothers in horror movies, is that they are the the protector. They are the ones who are terrorized by, you know, sociopathic or monster children of the coroner. You know, yeah. like it's it's it, that was one of the the interesting flips, I think, to me was that she, you know, it's not only a realistic 
uh, portrayal of of parenthood, but it's also a, a woman who was a mother who isn't relegated to just the protector role and nothing out. She's she's fully flushed out, and that's a breath of fresh air and horror, honestly. I agree. That is that that's something that Jennifer Kent brings to it: a genuine sense of humanity, which includes the ugly parts. Um, and that it's not just that we don't just look at her and we're like, oh, she's just like a crazy, you know, murdering woman that just snapped. Like, we don't just, it, she's not reduced to that, which is so lovely. And that's something that Jennifer Kent just didn't allow to happen. You get so on her side that when the tables finally flip, you're like, oh, that's all the Babadook needed to do was just take her existing feelings and magnify them. Or, you know, boil the pot over, so to speak. Um, and I, I love that That that's... There's such a social pressure for any single parent. Um, and single mothers are held to an even higher standard. Um, and on top of that, uh, a single mother with a troubled child. She seems to have a job that is reliable, but she still has to, you know, have people cover her shifts and such. And she is worried about money. Like when they say, you know, basically when she's, she knows, she knows she's being haunted by the Babadook. And then she's still like, yeah, just give all my fucking shifts away. She's not like, it's not her thinking about her retirement. That's her thinking about her fucking mortgage payment and paying for food next week. Like, well, she's also like, now I have a Babadook living in this house. That's a third mouth to feed. If anything, <laughs> I need to work extra shifts. And I think that's something that also to keep in mind that she's, I don't, she's not necessarily poor, but she is just because she has a house does not mean that she is in some sort of unflappable socioeconomic position. Like she does need that job. Right. And it's interesting because obviously this is Australia and not the States, but there's still a lot of uh, our our society that we can see in that. And when, you know, especially in the United States, I think more so than other places, there's this weird like, don't call in sick, you know, yeah. work through oh, it yeah. thing. And I get so pissed at like, do not come to work sick. I do not want your germs. Yeah. Take your damn sick day. <laughs> and when, but you know, so many people can't. Because so many people don't have paid time off, so they can't yeah. or, or you know, they don't want to be – there's just such this, you know, this idea in society that, you know, oh, no, like it's bad to take time for yourself. You need to be working, you know, 70 hours a week to prove something, which is obviously insane. So, when she's calling out and she's like, I'm sick, what do you expect from me? Like, what do you want me to do? And I think that that's – there's so many employers out there where you do, you call in sick and they're like, oh, well – you know, what are we supposed to do? Is it, what am I supposed to do? This isn't something I planned. And they or the guilt- implication that you're faking, which is like, I'm right. I am 35 years old. I'm yes. not faking sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing hooky. So me and uh, the other the other guys can pick up some hot chicks in our Camaro and go down to the beach. <laughs> I hear- Did I see you at the, the Wetzel's Pretzels at the mall skateboarding? <laughs> like, oh, no, they caught me. Oh, detention for a week. Yeah, it is. It is uh, definitely a privilege. Um, it's a socioeconomic privilege that people don't talk about is that when you're a salaried employee, after a certain level and if you have certain protections you work in a certain sort of company um you do get less questions about sick days and obviously there's certain positions like i'm sure hedge fund managers when they call in late also are like 
their boss is like, a uh, guy just didn't want it that much, but fuck those guys because they get paid so much money. Um, I consider myself very fortunate and I'm very aware because I've worked shitty jobs where calling in sick or taking vacation time it doesn't get a, cool, you earned it. It gets a, yeah, we're, I just don't know. We're really You're letting the team down. Yeah, you're really letting the team down on this one. Like, I had jobs like that. So now that I don't have a job like that, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I do have a boss who's like, yeah, you're throwing up. Don't fucking come into the office. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need you here. Or I just hope my boss like, doesn't check my letterboxed account when I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's legitimately something I think you need to take into account with this movie is the, the socioeconomics of it and the fact that she... That's another pressure on her life that there isn't uh, a backup job there if hers falls through or when she's, you know, if, if she has an extended sickness or whatever, one of them can go to work. That's not the case here at all. You know, and she has she has a boss who is, as we said, not, not only not understanding of just being sick, she's not understanding of the first time the boss comes to tell her that her son's school is on the phone. The boss is clearly annoyed, like, oh, God, fucking kids in their schools and you and your fucking kid in school. Like, she's just so annoyed that her employees have things that are not work. Um, so this is clearly an unsympathetic boss, no matter what the situation is. So she obviously would not give two shits. Like, oh, there's there's another person in your house. Can he cover your shift then? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's so fucking just in... It- uh, I think rage is a good motiv- motivator in uh, horror to make you like a protagonist really quickly. Just like righteous indignation at like how a character is being treated. Well, that and the way this like that was another thing with Tully too, which is like the school being like, yeah, I don't know, we're not sure what to do with your kid. I guess uh, maybe hire a tutor or something. Maybe stay home with you for a little bit and you figure that it's like. Like, Jesus Christ, like, I have, I, how am I going to figure all that out? Like, yeah, I loved, you know, it's totally switching gears, but you mentioned Tully when she takes him to the other school and there's that teacher that's just like, oh, yeah. do you need to stand here? Great. Let's stand here. And I was like, oh, see, that's, that's what everything should be. Why isn't every school like this? What, what, what is this? And that's, that's obviously the kind of teacher that, that Samuel needed and just didn't have. And hopefully that school that she mentions at the end to the, uh, child services people is the school that that teacher from Tully worked at. <laughs> I was going to say the flip side too of that child service thing is like the way that at the time you just think like she's trying to hold the the house together and everything is complete chaos. Like there's also that flip side of that that I'm always like sometimes when people show up at my house and I'm not expecting them and I'm like, oh my God, like this house is a disaster. There's toys <laughs> everywhere. Like that kind of like this this person who's here to like work on my electrical outlet that's not working is going to like report me to child services. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that this movie is very funny at times. Um, sometimes the 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 uh, quote unquote assholishness of the sun can be very funny, where you're just like, because it's funny in that dark way where you're like, holy shit, I'm so glad I'm not in your shoes, or <laughs> yeah, holy shit, like. Sometimes kids can be just the worst, but they don't realize it because they don't have a context for it or they're saying something else by what they're saying, blah, blah, blah. Um, the My favorite thing is when the child services shows up. And this is this the only movie where child services show up where you're like, yeah, I mean, they should be here. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's she's losing it. 
the kids have been out of school for a while. Um, I love the, the well, I, but I think it's but I think it's the it's like yeah, you should be here, but like not based on necessarily the information that you know. Yeah, like yes, but I love the line the kid says, and this is an outright comedy line. I'm a bit tired from the drugs mama gave me. <laughs> it's so great because he's he's like uh, sort of droopy, but he's not overdoing it. And that is actually what's happening is she got sedatives for her son and a doctor felt bad for her. And it was like, yeah, here's a week of sedatives. One at a time. Please do not murder your child with these <laughs> sedatives. Like. And then Child Protective Services shows up and like they they rightfully look at her funny for the. Yeah, I'm tired. from the, Like, yeah, she shouldn't be giving her son sedatives, especially this is after this is sort of after the flip where or it's approaching the flip at least. Yeah. Where, she, at this point, you're still not sure if it is literally like a demon uh, or a Babadook. <laughs> kind of infesting the house because like there's the bugs crawling out of the wall. So so the, the bugs that weren't apparently even really there because she yeah. brings them in and there's no hole in the wall anymore. Uh, oh, that was one of the funny things to me about the Child Protective Services showing up is they show up because he's not in school. He tells them that his mother drugged him. She tell she she freely tells them who would tell Child Protective Services that there was a cockroach infestation. What are you doing? But she tells them, and they don't even care. They're just like, oh, you must be tired. You have a lot going on. Anyway, about about school. Like, that's literally all they care about. Like, are you even doing your jobs? (laughs) Well, and again, that's that's the frustration of, like, there is no one in this movie who is actually there to support her. Even the infrastructure that, in theory, is there to support people that need it. From uh, police to... You know, your job hanging is saving you, the school supporting her kid, the uh, uh, the Child Protective Services. Like, Child Protective Services, like, based on the evidence they see when they're there, they should probably do a little more than like, well, you seem a little busy. We'll come back in a couple weeks. <laughs> um, please don't kill your kid with drugs in that. <laughs> yeah. And it's – Roach scene really reminded me of Repulsion and how her, her apartment and Repulsion, very similar to, I guess, how – a stage play would do it. Um, Amelia's apartment reflects the mental state of Amelia. Uh, It's blue, which is obviously just sort of like a solemn, sad, depressed color. Blue dabba-dee-dabba-die. But also, like, as chaos happens, um, and she's, like, dealing with it in a very, like, oh, shit, we have to deal with this right now. And then when people come into the apartment... There aren't hands coming out of the walls or roaches or any of the crazy shit anymore. It's all yeah, gone. It's, can't ex- it's, you can't just show it to people and be like, there's there's a fucking roach infestation. There's there's monsters coming out of the walls. I can't show any of you people this shit. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned the, you know, the drab house again. Because when she's in the house, she's wearing drab clothing. But when she's mm-hmm. out of the house, she's in her pink work uniform or she's in a pink dress when she goes to her niece's birthday party she's always wearing bright colors when she's out of the house because it's that that mask that face that she's trying to put onto the world that she's okay but her back to her home mirroring her mental state when she's at home not only is the home drab but so is she and i think that that that's really interesting so this movie um 
was not well received in Australia. Um, <laughs> when it came out before it was, uh, so it actually came out in Australia in 2013, and Australians basically didn't like it. They didn't think it was scary. They didn't. They didn't care for it. And uh, then it, it went to Sundance in 2014, and obviously it became a big uh, smash here in America. And I, I think it's because it seems like the cockroach scene. In Australia, that's just a pretty normal thing you probably find behind your walls. So it's not <laughs> not all that scary to be like, yeah, of course, that's who lives in our walls here in Australia is giant monster bugs, and that's and we they sometimes they chip in for rent and you know they babysit and that's just part of how our dynamic works. So I don't know what's so scary about this, Jennifer. <laughs> Cock- <laughs> cockroaches are the least scary thing in Australia. So that's, prob- <laughs> yeah. that's probably what it is. You know, it's like a we it's like have, seeing a ladybug here in the United we have, States. We have jumping venomous spiders. You know, like it's yeah. this is this is nothing. Yeah, they're they're like. Um, so we noticed that you used cockroaches. Uh, they're considered uh, sort of a um, a friend of the Australian community. What we don't consider a friend are the ten uh, foot venomous spiders yeah. that uh, eat your entrails. Those oh. are really the target right now. Um, you'll be you'll be really scary like a kangaroo bursts out, starts punching <laughs> your kids. <laughs> that is you, funny, also because every Australian I've ever met fucking hates kangaroos. Uh, and you were both just British, not Australian. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, long time, long time listeners will know that's uh, pretty part for the course on this podcast. Um, I do, I do love that this movie is to to. to tap here aaron said a million hours ago that this is uh kind of one of the kickoff points of the indie horror revolution that's been happening for the past you know five six years this is like one of the big ones yes um this movie uh i love that the central concept of this is very fucking stupid but the execution makes it so good that you don't realize it the idea of a haunted book in the hands of blumhouse uh, which I love a lot of Blumhouse movies, don't get me wrong, but the idea of a haunted book in the hands of Blumhouse sounds like the worst fucking movie of all time. But yet, in the hands of a somebody with an indie sensibility and somebody who's looking at it from a character perspective and not approaching the scares from necessarily, we need to have a spookery every eight minutes or whatever the ratio is, um, that is so amazing. Because I didn't realize until I'd seen it like once or twice that I was like, the idea of a haunted book that scares you is kind of stupid, right? Well, I think even just the monster too, right? It's like, oh, it's a monster. Oh, what kind of monster? Well, he's pretty fancy. Uh. Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a fancy monster. But the thing, I think, one of the things interesting is that you know it kind of goes back to the old, you know, kid stories are actually fucking terrifying terrifying you know so it kind of it kind of goes back to that a little bit which is interesting but one of the things i love about the indie horror revolution is that groups that didn't really have movies made for them or by them uh started to get that so you know with um with the Babadook, you know, it's uh, motherhood and, and mental illness in a new way. And, um, it follows, I know, resonates with women, I think, a lot more than men because we're always, we're always looking behind us. We're always feeling like somebody's following us on the street. This is something that we are conscious of, you know, constantly. Um, obviously, Get Out is, was a huge breakout of, um, of this because of, 
you know, one, it was just amazing. But two, um, the, the look at horror from a black perspective was something that really hadn't been done, especially in that way. Um, I, I love that the Babadook is sort of the, the, springboard from all of these other great movies came from and also that it you know it's having the woman's perspective um not just from the main character but because it was written and directed by a woman i think that it it makes a difference that's so crucial to the discussion this week i love the fact that that this movie was embraced by multiple communities and there's such a specificity to it there's a uniqueness to it that came from jennifer kent's perspective um, but also the horror community has to let women go on their own artistic journey. And if she wants to come back to horror, we will gladly welcome her. But like, are you saying, are you saying that they're mad that she's taking a leave of absence and she's, they're wondering who's covering her shift. If she's not <laughs> <horror> <laughs> yeah. Can Essie Davis uh, star in some horror movies while we're waiting for you to come back to the genre? Yeah. Um, did we talk about how S.E. Davis is um, amazing? Like, a, like it's a revelation in this. And I know she's been in tons of stuff before this, but like genuinely tackles every hard challenge that Jennifer Kent threw at her with a plum. She's phenomenal in it. You know, when you're going to focus on primarily two people for an entire movie, they have to not only both be very good they have to be very good together and i think that they they were they were just you know and, and i i have to imagine that uh being an adult working with children at all is difficult but especially in a horror movie and she handles it phenomenally you know know what is kind of appropriate to the movie but we haven't talked about much is the actual papa duke like and his <laughs> we like, talked about how fancy he is. He's a fancy <laughs> man. Uh, and how his first first uh, quote unquote uh, sighting is outside of the book is just uh, a coat and a hat on a hat, ring, hat yeah. ringer, which is so fucking funny. Um, we didn't really talk. Well, on that note, we didn't really talk how much about uh, about how like Aussie Davis's character was a uh, Davis. Essie Davis. Austin we Davis is a, a, a black man. In a oh, movie. yeah. Sorry. Um, it's, <laughs> no, it's just funny. <laughs> um, well, to be fair, she is an Aussie. So Yeah, that's yeah. why I got confused. Uh, Thank Austin you, Davis. Natalie. There we go. Um, <laughs> um, but, I'm, not, uh, I'm not being a dick. I just <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, but like, we didn't really talk much about how Essie um, Davis's character, like, she used to write children's book and be an illustrator and stuff like that. So, like, her the the terror of the Babadook is like created by things like the hat and the coat that is presumably from her husband's that's still hanging on a coat rack, and like all these things that are happening are are kind of being done by her. So that's what starts out as kind of like a goofy design or like this idea of the a monster in a top hat makes so much more sense once you realize what who the who Mister Babadook is. And I also love the touch on the 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 the, the children's book is not called the Babadook or Babadook. There is something that very much understands children's picture book to call it Mr. Babadook. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it's like introducing you to this fun new character. Um, and if you uh, if you don't follow um, vague rules that we're not really setting up, I don't know. This, this guy's going to get you. Don't worry about it. We'll worry about it, but he's going to get you. That's scariest part of the movie. Um, so he is very scary. Uh, he just isn't around all that often. 
But I still think the scariest part of the movie is when she does get that book back and like she's flipping through the pages and the book's like, fuck you. <laughs> this is what's going to happen to you. Like that idea of literature changing uh, in a way that's like directly confrontational to you is something we talked a little bit about the never ending story episode, but there is something um, kind of creepy about that concept because one thing that's supposed to stay consistent is like the the art that we consume like that we may notice and pick up new things but like a book's gonna be the same book and a movie's gonna be the same movie and music's gonna sound the same every time we listen to it um and the idea of like something that we know and trust as being consistent can flip on you is such a creepy concept that i don't think enough uh horror films take advantage of Yeah, I totally agree. It sounds like a lot of agreement. It is. <laughs> I, I was waiting. It. I was waiting to see if Peter was going to talk. And then. <laughs> no, I figured, I figured uh, I've been enough of a blowhard. I was going to give Natalie her shot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree. And I love the approach to the monster because it's accessible and pure and iconic. Yet also, when the time comes to show him off, he can be on screen very briefly. Um, I especially love how he sort of, there's a shot of him. It's when he enters into S.E. Dave, or enters into Amelia. And he sort of skitters across in stop motion animation almost across the ceiling. I love that because it conjures what her image of him is, which is from a picture book. And that erratic sort of movement is really great. And I think a couple years later, they, uh, Conjuring 2 took that i i'm curious if they were inspired by this consciously it might have just been subconsciously but there was the tiktok man or whatever the guy's name was the, the, the long slender dude with the top hat and he kind of moved like a stop motion animation creature um and that erratic movement is a great way to creep us the fuck out it is it's it's fantastic and one of the things that i love about the babadook's design is that He's almost unassuming, you know, with his fancy top hat and his coat, but then he has these ridiculous claws that could just fucking shred you to pieces. And he's so, he's just a dark abyss, which is what, you know, trauma and depression and everything is often, um, you know, characterized as. And so it takes this very unassuming thing and this thing that people you know it's always associated with like the nice gentleman who like tips his hat to you you know the gentleman uh <laughs> and and instead it's this you know they they take that um so sort of aspects of um a well-to-do you know kind man and turn it into this you know terrifying monster that's gonna destroy your family that's a great yeah. point and also is a member of the LGBT community. Um, can we talk briefly about Bob Duke? I feel like we're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Nelly, it's uh, yeah. Do you want to? I kind of so, referenced a little bit how it kind of made its progression, but yeah. Do you want? Yes. So um, the there's a lot of you know there's a lot of different things of of how it how it came to be. Um, one that it there's the the story that it was incorrectly. Um, categorized on netflix for a while into the lgbt uh category and people were like yes done 
fully. He's definitely one of us. Um, and then I think one of the biggest ones is there is a tweet where somebody was talking about it. Uh, I think I'm not sure who was the original one, but the one that really went viral was a guy on Twitter called Carlos Maza. And um, he wrote, Babadook, I'm a terrifying monster that destroys families that try to suppress me. Gay people, oh my God, same. Drinks later? <laughs> and and that it just it just sort of like it went from there because as we've talked about the Babadook is a metaphor and it's a metaphor for things that we try to escape instead of confront and if you don't confront it and he even says that at one point that one of the, the book says that at one point like the more you try to get me to go away the more I'm going to be here and um, it's not exactly that, obviously. It's, it's rhyming because it's a children's book, but I don't, <laughs> I didn't write it down. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that he's become such an icon in the LGBTQ uh, community is because, um, that's, you know, there's, there's an aspect of being closeted that is, that can be seen there in that, in that metaphor and the, the trauma of, you know, being in families, um, that don't, you know, support you or accept you or that you can't come out to. And I think that there's just, there's, you know, it's, 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 there's, so I think there's, there's a couple of things that, that, you know, he can, he can represent trauma, he can represent mental illness, he can represent even just, you know, not being able, you know, feeling trapped within yourself because of, because of other things. And it can be all of those things all at once. And I think that's one of the great things about, um, about the movie is that it has it has so many layers i didn't you know as a maybe a a straight white cis dude like i didn't even really look into it until i started doing some research for this this podcast and i i realized how how much it was not just a fun joke that seemed to piss piss all of the right people off which is also always fun but then reading more about it and kind of the the what you just described it was like oh that makes a lot of sense and um I think one of the reasons why this movie is so good is it has it as I've as I've alluded to before, like it just has so much to say, and it has so much to say within the confines of of um, being a good horror movie. But there's, I think, everyone who watches the movie the, that idea of something that. Um, that that you are you know like whether it's depression whether it's trauma whether it's closeted whether it's being closeted like there is so much in this metaphor that I think connects to a lot of people and it's been uh, it was it was very interesting to see how that was uh, not just a joke but something that really has been kind of um, taken in by the by the LGBTQ community. Well, and that's what's that's what's great about it is it's primarily a movie about a mother and son and their shared trauma and the things that they're dealing with. And that is what the Babadook is for them. But you don't have to be a single mom with a yeah. dead husband to to find the Babadook scary because the Babadook is whatever it is for you. It's your anxiety. It's your depression. It's the sick parent that you have to take care of that you are trying very hard not to feel bitter about. It's It can be so many different things. And that's what's amazing about it. Yeah, and that uh, that seems like a perfect uh, perfect wrap up there. Is this your first podcast? Because that seems like a perfect. Uh, <laughs> you're better at this than we are. <laughs> Anything else that we didn't get a chance to mention before we, we we wrap this up? I think that's all the things that I wanted to talk about about the yeah, movie. It's I, just I, it's just great. Yeah, I think we I think we really like tapped into this. Uh, 
into what the movie is actually about. <laughs> and then we doubled back to the fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, this uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you again for joining us. Oh, thank um, you for having me. I, I had a blast. Yeah, that, and we'll definitely we'll, – we will have you back in the future – um this 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 has been so much fun so um we'll have you back five to six times and then we'll invite jake on um (laughs) perfect (laughs) (laughs) um but no thank you so much for taking time out of your day and uh you you uh this month has already been so much fun and we're only halfway done because um a lot of times as we've talked about like we are choosing these movies and we're asking people like here's a list to choose from and sometimes they find a movie that you know they personally resonates with them but um we're just we're we're so happy to be able to actually have people on that are like hey no this is a movie i have some things to say about and it's been great so far and we're looking forward to the rest of the month as well so anything that uh that you have to promote no no just you know give give women filmmakers more of a chance people go out there watch things that women create please and other and people of color other non straight white dudes they're, they make good things. Go watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so speaking of that, so yeah, we have we have two more left uh, this month. So we have uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare with Le- uh, Lizette Garcia, uh, which I'm very excited to watch and which will also complete my Freddy movies. Uh, and then uh, we are watching the Carrie remake from 2013, not the TV one. <laughs> or not the sequel that's kind of a remake, The Rage Carrie 2, uh, 2013 Carrie with guest Carrie Nelson. And then, Peter, what is our Halloween special this year? Our Halloween special is going to be covering John Carpenter's Halloween, which is a, a weird oversight for our show. And uh, the we're, we have uh, that video game too good to use syndrome sometimes with this show. Um and we're yeah. finally dropping the Halloween potion. And uh, we're also going to be doing the sequel, Halloween 2. Um, and then we're going to be doing the sequel to that, Halloween. Uh, not confusing at all. And uh, we're going to be sort of um, talking so, about the franchise as a whole as, a, as our Halloween yeah. special. So It's also unclear to us if Halloween 2 is included in the new chronology that Halloween is uh 2018 is starting uh i, I was under the imp- yeah I, so i was under the impression it was and then uh a lot of people have said no it's just halloween followed by halloween which is not confusing at all but i think we're still going to do halloween too because i want to see it and uh when else are we gonna get a chance to to talk yeah, about it even so. if we only do uh 10 minutes on it or whatever i'd like to at least cover it on the show briefly uh and then we can uh i'm gonna watch it anyway yeah and i i don't think the movie is interesting enough to cover on its own episode partially <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the, the halloween 2 by rob zombie full episode though that's a weird fucking movie so first one's better uh <laughs> i know that's not a, surprisingly not a popular opinion there's no oh. the popular opinion is that they're both terrible. Uh, okay, so pop, pop. I'm confusing like actual popular opinion to popular opinion in like specifically our crazy <laughs> horror group, <laughs> which happens a lot. Yes, um, we are. But yeah, bubbled people. Yeah, so we have a lot of spookiness coming your way. So stupid, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we do. Yeah, so uh, so yeah. Tune in probably next week. I don't know. Sounds like a good plan. If you want to, I guess. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, so, Natalie, thank you so much <laughs> for so, coming we're on. We're so bad you, at ending these. Uh, you like the like Amelia will be uh, haunted by the Babadook of We Love to Watch because we're totally going to bug you to come back on the show. And uh, you are an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I will I will love to come back on because um, I bought a microphone, so I need to use it. <laughs> <laughs> she's just saying that when she gets done with this podcast, she's going to go out to the garbage and burn her microphone. <laughs> Why would you hurt me like this microphone? Uh, <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Yo, listen up. Here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world. And all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue. Like him inside and outside. Blue his house with a blue little window and a blue Corvette. And everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around. Cause he ain't got nobody to listen to. I'm blue, I'm a Folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.